You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Tuesday, the 17th of January. It's cold. We told you yesterday it was going to get cold. It got colder than we'd anticipated. Very, very chilly across most of Britain and some of Ireland today to the point where racing at Newbury on Wednesday is off. Plumpton are expecting later Thursday at Ludlow. If if there's a doubt, they will inspect at 9 o'clock Wednesday. Newcastle's frozen in places. Wincanton's frozen in places. Market Raisin is frozen in places for Friday. Then it's set to warm up and get a little bit wetter for the weekend. So Lingfield, Ascot, Haydock, Taunton will all be keeping their fingers firmly crossed, but in various states at the moment of uh, waterlogging and freezing. As I welcome in Jane Mangan, RTE and Racing TV analyst to the show, with the news also that Fairy House is currently unraceable for later in the week. Clonmel, however, goes ahead today. And if we do race this weekend, Jane, there are just three horses entered never mind declared for the clarence house chase at the five-day stage they do however happen to me an Edward edwardstone and amarillo sky all of whom we featured on the podcast in recent days um how do you like that a three-runner race i actually have no problem with it i, I know a lot of people will think oh that's a disappointing turnout isn't it but you could fluff it up with horses that realistically have no chance of ever getting involved in a race of this caliber and i think we've essentially got three horses that can make an impact last year's race was probably the race of the season when shishkin and, and ergamine went toe-to-toe up the straight at ascot now we've got the horse that was a star novice last year putting his toe in against the heavyweight champion and let's see if he can make an impact currently i think the odds are something like one to two favorite for an ergamine 11 to 8 the arc for winner edward stone so let's hope edward stone's jumping stands up and we have a real duel. Any reason why it shouldn't stand up? I know that sounds a bit weird for a horse that got rid of his rider last time, but on the balance of his efforts, is there any reason why it shouldn't stand up? No, and I'd imagine uh, they've had plenty of schooling since, but he basically landed in the fence at Kempton um, and he unseated his rider, but Tom couldn't really have stayed on. He has been prone to errors in the past, but overall at top company last year, going at strong pace, he's been pretty fine and I, I'd imagine I, I, look tactics will be fascinating but I think Paul Townend's in the, the comfortable position knowing that he can lead or he can follow so he can get down to the start and make that decision and um, look it, 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 if people want a 12 or 14 runner grade one just ask yourselves how many of those are actually how many of them matter how many of them really count and I think when you see a race stripped back like this it's it's one of those. I think it's a match, but I, I you know it's uh, it's going to be a spectacle all the same. Yeah, I and mean, we had the same thing with Altier and surname at Ascot. We had the same thing with Energumen and Shishkin. If you had four horses of say one fifty ability in there to pad it out, that I don't think people would be batting an eyelid. But we don't. It's a it's a distilled field. Who could be there that aren't? Well, Grenatine, I suppose, could be there. He's not. Newby Negro, we heard from Dan Skelton last week. He's being kept fresh for for Cheltenham. He's clearly a horse who needs lots of time between between his runs. Are there any more Irish horses that ought to be there, Jane, do you think? Well, we've had Blue Lord and uh, Shaq and Persuad at Christmas and they'll probably go back to Leopardstown. And that's the big factor over here is an argument. William Mullins is quoted in the paper today saying that he didn't want to wait 
for the Dublin Racing Festival that the timing of the Clarence House falls better for this horse when it comes to Cheltenham. Uh, maybe he's a horse that he likes to keep fresh for March as well. But, you know, we have a, a Dublin chase to consider over here. Even so, Royale is in that um, for Alan King. So, look, there are horses here that could go, but none of them as good as an Argumine. And there's a good pot to be won at this side of the water too. Would you make it a handicap again, like it was before the noughties? Uh, you could, yeah, you could. And you definitely get a bigger field because you'd be, a lot of horses be receiving a lot of weight from a horse like um, an Argumine. But look, oh, there's a lot of arguments that a lot of these grade ones should be converted back to handicaps. And I think it's maybe a little bit superfluous because I don't think it's ever going to happen. All right, what else is happening this weekend? Uh, Ascot, Haydock, Taunton, if the weather um, plays the plays the game. Shark Hanlon, where do you think he's going to be, Jane? I, 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 have a, I have heard it on good authority that he's not going to be in the country. Yeah, you're right. Um, he's actually going to be at Taunton for their big race, the Portman Cup, with his Grand National entry and recent acquisition to the yard, Cape Gentleman. Uh, and this is where he was this morning when I spoke to him around about 7.30. I'm on a tractor here trying to get a gallop. So I am. We have a lot of fast staff mates, just minus four here. And um, we were doing it during the night there. I, I done it at 12 o'clock, I done it at 3 o'clock, I done it at 5 o'clock, and this morning I came back out at half seven and nearly falls again. So we're just trying to get that started at the moment. Well, you're very kind to spare me a couple of minutes. The real reason I rang you was to ask whether Cape Gentleman was going to come to Taunton at the weekend if the meeting's on. No, he definitely goes. He definitely goes over, so he does. Um, just give him a run over that trip um, to, to get his lungs open for the, for the national. So that's the plan. Because am I right in, in thinking that he hasn't qualified as yet? Because he needs, a, he needs a, a completion in the first four over three miles, doesn't he? Over three miles plus. He, he has, yeah, but I, that won't be any problem. I think it's just um, to get the job done and just race and a half my race which I think uh, Shark do you think he's moved forward for you since that first run he had yeah he's he wasn't fit and um, I just wanted to get one run into him to get to know the horse more than that and we get my run over hurdles just to build his confidence he, he hasn't jumped great at times and um, I just had a run over hurdles to sweep him up a bit and I think it did but, you know, he's been bought for, for one specific purpose. Do you th still think on what you've seen so far that he's a suitable horse for that purpose? Yeah, I do, yeah, I do. I think that his ideas, I've just given him a run over three and a half miles there to um, to make sure that he's stayed the trip. Now, just no pressure, the man at the bottom, I was talking to him on the phone to the right, he said to me, if you, if you think the horse's not ready or anything, there's no problem. And I said, no, no, we haven't ready for it. I wanted to ask you about next week because Thursday, Palm Beach, Florida, the Eclipse Awards, Hewick is nominated alongside Snap. Just yeah, it's amazing. We're, we're amazed that we got, we're going over on, on Wednesday night, so we are. Um, we're absolutely thrilled to think that we'll get nominated for a big, big award like that um, in a different country. And it just shows the appreciation that the people in America had for the horse and um, to put them up for this award. Listen, so you're going with a hope. You're there with a chance. and you're there with a chance, you have to take it and enjoy it. 
And how is he? How's he doing, Shark? You were quite bullish last week when you were talking about him being prepared for a Gold Cup. Yeah, no, I'm very happy with him because um, he came back much stronger than he did than he went out. And um, he looks to be in great form. You see, he pulled down to the young lad early morning and raised him out. So, um, no, listen, uh, it's all though, I think the old, open, the old Cup will be a little bit open this year. And I think he's to be in it. And you need to get back to that, that gallop, Shark. Uh, it's probably frozen up since I've been speaking to you, hasn't it? <laughs> That's about a man of tractor here. We're okay. What a man, Shark Hanlon. On his tractor this morning, he'd been up three times in the night harrowing the gallop. He'll be off to Taunton with Cape Gentleman on, on Saturday. And then I thought I'd be the only one completing the Taunton-Palm Beach double, Jane. But it, it, I'll be joined by the Shark every step of the way. What a What a hero he is. What a man and uh, and what a game that you can be doing all of that and um, and probably take home an Eclipse prize as well. The Shark is one of the great characters of the game and to have had the success he's had in the last 12 months with the likes of Hewick and obviously now with his success in America, getting investment from the States to, to buy better types of horses. It's, it's, it's healthy and it's attractive in terms of the sport. Cape Gentleman was a decent horse for uh, Emmett Mullins. I remember thinking he was a little bit unlucky to get beaten one time at uh, Royal Ascot. He's been fancied for Galway hurdles and now he's he's playing his trade chasing. On his second run for the Shark Cannon, uh, look, he, he's, a, he's a good horse and whether he'll be a Grand National horse, time will tell. But the Shark up, Harrowing his gallop three times in the middle of the night is gonna is gonna enhance his chances. That shall we say? And there there, there is going to be a shark attack on Palm Beach next week. Uh, that is something that I, I I'd say he's the most surefire winner of an Eclipse Award this year. I, I hope and you're that's right. Saying something when you've got um, who was that really fast horse that won the Breeders' Cup Classic? A uh, flight line. Oh yeah, that he won. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think there's going to be any doubt about who wins horse of the year. More of that later in the program with uh, with Matt Bernier, and I'll be talking to Zach Purton, multiple champion jockey in Hong Kong, in a few moments' time as well. In a a really interesting interview about tactics and his own his own recent history in in Hong Kong, one of the world's fiercest competitors in the sport of horse racing. Now there wasn't much competition last time a horse called Gaelic Warrior ran in Ireland, Jane. He won by eighty plus lengths. The handicapper seemed to ignore it, however, but he's back in a little conditions race that they found for him at Clonmel this afternoon. What sort of impact do you think Gaelic Warrior is going to play on the rest of this season at a guess now? I think he could, if he stays off his current mark or anywhere around it, be a shoe-in for one of the handicaps at Cheltenham. He's also got the Betfair hurdle entry, so whether Willie Mullins goes there before Cheltenham, I wouldn't be surprised if he did, because this guy has experience. He's thrown in off his current mark. And you know what? The race he's in today, even if he wins by, he won 86 lengths, he's maiden hurdle at Tremore. Even if he wins by a similar margin today, I don't know what the handicap can really do because the nearest rating to him in a win, this is a winner's a one for horses that haven't won a race more than the value of 10,000 euro. Yet he was second beaten a whisker in the Fred Winter at Cheltenham last year. The nearest uh, horse in ratings today is Braganza, who's 125. And she receives weight from him. He's 134. I don't see him getting an awful lot of weight for winning the race today. It's perfect placing. Uh, he should pick up this race barring accident. And I think he could win two major handicaps. And it wouldn't surprise me if he did what Stateman did last year and end up winning a grade one at the Punchestown Festival after plundering a handicap at Cheltenham. 
Might just be worth keeping across this Ronan McNally case, Jane. Uh, my sources close to the case suggest to me that uh, there was a an adjournment at the back end of last week. They were expecting sanctions to be read down and we'd actually find out what what punishments were going to be given um, and hopefully some some fuller written reasons which we've been promised. Uh, I'm told there was an adjournment. I don't know why. Uh, and uh, we'll just we'll just keep across that. Is is this gone cold in in Ireland? This story or not? No, I think we're we're expecting sanctions um, pretty soon. And we know when the initial uh, hearings were published from the IHRB that a lot of the details that we so wanted uh, were omitted. So that we're kind of expecting an inf- an entire detailed report uh, plus the sanctions for the parties involved. Um, so I, I don't think it's gone cold. I think everybody's kind of waiting, not with bated breath, but with expectation that this is going to hit hard. Well, there's very good racing this weekend in Hong Kong, but there's also excellent racing the following weekend. 29th of January, don't miss it. The Stewards' Cup could be one of the, the great races in the in the world in the first part of the year, and that's no exaggeration. Multiple Hong Kong champion jockey, Zach Purton, joins me now. He'll be riding a horse called California Spangle. But Zach, this is this is a real showstopper potentially. Just just explain why and, and about the three horses that are lining up against each other. Yeah, sure. So in Hong Kong, it's not often that you have three horses of the caliber of the ones that we've got racing against each other. You might have one a sprinter, one a miler, and one a mile and a quarter horse, and they sort of don't really match up that often. But horses of, of this caliber racing each other over the mile quite unique for us uh, and it's obviously very exciting we have golden 60 who's been our most dominant horse for the last three to four seasons uh he's our highest prize money earning horse uh, in history he's won the most races by any horse in history and the most i, I, I think i'm sure in saying by the most group one races uh, in history as well so He's, uh, he's been an exceptional horse for quite some time now. And, and then you have the new kid on the block um, at that distance at a mile coming through in California Spangle who has gone up against him three times. Golden 60 coming out on top the first two times and California Spangle was able to turn the tables at their most recent outing, which was in the Hong Kong mile on International Day, where... California Spangle was able to pinch a little bit of a break and and the distance or the gap between the two horses was just that little bit too much for Golden 60 to peel back uh, on that occasion. But they're going to be a little bit more aware of those tactics this time and might ride their horse a little bit differently. And then you've got Romantic Warrior who smashed them on International Day as well in the Cup over 2,000 metres and the last time Romantic Warrior and California Spangle matched up against each other was around about this time last year when they went head-to-head in the derby um, over 2,000 metres where Romantic Warrior come out on top. So hopefully California Spangle can make amends for that narrow defeat in this race and, and come out on top. But tactics are obviously going to be crucial. Mm. It's only a small field. We only have the seven runners. So in some respects, it probably favours Golden 60 and Romantic Warrior a little bit because 
they're not going to be too far back. They're not going to be in traffic or in trouble. They're going to be in st- within striking distance and they're going to be able to make their runs when they want to make their runs. So it's a tough ask for California Spangle, but he does seem to be raising the bar bit by bit every time he goes out there. And, you know, whatever happens, it's going to be a really exciting race and it's one that we're all looking forward to. But you've completely sold it to me and the tactical element is fascinating. You're, you're someone who's beaten Golden 60 twice. You did it on Waikuku in this race last year and you did it, you did it last time. How satisfying was that for you? Because this was a horse who is, you know, had been pretty well unbeatable, and yeah, there was a there was a key to getting him beaten tactically. Do, did you feel that you'd slightly unlocked that that puzzle? To a certain degree, um, when I rode Waikuku and and beat him, um, I'd matched up against him in the lead up to the International Mile the year before and um, so in, in 2021 um, and I got off him and, and I said to John Size who trains Waikuku, I said, I think I can beat him in the international mile. I just had that feeling that the Waikuku was going that well at the time and unfortunately I had the fall on international day in a sprint and didn't end up getting to ride him in that mile and then he got caught wide and it was a little bit of a an average run but um, as soon as I got out of hospital, I went and seen John Size and said how disappointed I was. I wasn't able to be there on International Day and I sort of felt like I'd let the team down. But off the back of that, obviously, at their next start, which was actually in this race, in the Stewards' Cup, that was when I was able to get the best out of Waikuku and turn the tables and, and I beat Golden 60. So I felt like at that time it was coming. So it wasn't a surprise to me. Now, Vincent Ho... Uh, on that occasion, obviously put his hand up after that race and said that he'd, he'd made a bit of an error by going too far back in a slowly run race and gave the horse too much to do. So I felt like I was handed that race to some degree. But also with California Spangle in the most recent Hong Kong mile, in the main lead up, I got off and I said to Tony Cruz, I said, I think I can beat Golden 60 on International Day. And he laughed at me. He didn't think it was possible, but I just felt there was something in that run that I felt like our time was coming and I just had to get the tactics right and had to get the right run on the day. Now, obviously, I, I didn't envision on International Day Beauty Joy taking off mid-race like he did, but in some respects that obviously helped me um, and I was able to pinch a break on Golden 60 and, and that was the difference. He, he just had too much work to do once again to catch me and I just had the right horse at the right time and I was confident in what they were going to be able to deliver to get the job done. Now, you, you can catch a rider or a runner off, um, off their game or, or they don't give you enough respect once, but they certainly make up for yeah. it the next time and make sure that they don't get it wrong two times in a row. So I'm expecting <laughs> to adjust his tactics um, and I don't know what I'm going to be able to do any differently. So, you know, I, I caught him off guard last time. It's very hard to do it twice in a row. And you rode uh, California Spangle this morning in a trial. How'd he go? He went really well. He's such a, a brilliant little horse to do anything with. He's great out of the gates. He's got so much natural gate speed. He gets into his stride quickly. He, you know, runs along at whatever speed he feels comfortable doing. And, you know, he's... 
he's just a little gem. So he pulled up very clean in the wind. Um, and I'm very happy with the way he's going. I was just having a little look at the, the standings this year, uh, the jockey standings. Your 76 wins to Vincent's 39. Last year was one of those epics, and there have been so many of them, with you at 136 and your old foe Joe Moreira at 132. Um, how easy are you finding it to to get motivated and get up without somebody right on your tail, without going hammer and tongs with another, you know, titan of the of the jockeys colony in Hong Kong? Yeah, I must say it's been more enjoyable this season than it was <laughs> last season. <laughs> it's a, you know, it's, it's quite nice going out there, um, just being able to rattle off winners without too much uh, pressure or, or, or too much competition. Although I feel like the competition is starting to get a little bit stronger again, but um, it has been quite enjoyable having the support that I have been getting and, and doing what, what I've been able to do. But, you know, last season I was riding through a lot of pain as well. You know, I had that fall and then I rushed to come back because I had the championship in mind and, you know, I, I had a lot of muscle and ligament problems and the bones are still healing. And, you know, in the, in the last year I've had, had 17 fractures, so I've had a pretty bad run of things um and it was hard to get up every day and put myself through that pain and, and be in the battle that i was in and it took a lot of it a lot out of me so i'm enjoying this season being injury free touch wood uh feeling better although i'm, I'm still spending six hours at the physio every week just to be able to get to the races and you've got a couple of uk imports there at the moment um sylvester de souza we, we know is a multiple champion jockey here uh, how keen a competitor is he yeah, so he's doing a really good job. He got himself suspended a few times um, early in the season and he was in and out and it sort of hurt his momentum a little bit, but he's been back on the track uh, more consistently recently and he's been getting some good results. Uh, I read that he's looking to extend his contract to the end of the season. Um, and like I said, he's, he's getting good support. Um, he's doing a good job. Um, listen, you've been very generous with your time, Zach, and it's much appreciated. Uh, we cannot wait for this race, 29th of Jan. I know you're in uh, Grade 1 action this weekend as well. Uh, best of luck there too. Thanks for talking to me. Anytime. Thank you. The brilliant Zach person, as insightful out of the saddle as he is talented in it. My thanks to him. And we move now from Hong Kong to the United States, and just a few hours before that Stewards' Cup takes place in Hong Kong, we'll have the 2023 running of the Pegasus World Cup. And the Pegasus World Cup, not just a multi-million dollar dirt race, but there's also a big turf race. And that, this year, for the first time, is sponsored by Qatar Racing, the subsidiary of Kipco, the global racing and breeding operation based in the UK, chaired by Sheikh Farhad, but which now has an international sponsorship portfolio, incorporating a multi-year deal with the Breeders' Cup and, as you'll be familiar with, the Kipco Champion Stakes and Queen Elizabeth II Stakes. But the Pegasus World Cup turf, presented by Qatar Racing, is part of an expanding global presence. I'll be there working for NBC with Matt Bernier, who joins me now to talk not just about the Pegasus, but also about the road to the Kentucky Derby, which we will be on in earnest before too long, and the Eclipse Awards, which take place in Palm Beach next Thursday. Uh, Matt, let's start with the, the Eclipse Awards, honouring the best of 2022 in North American racing. There's not going to be a, a contentious issue about who's going to be Horse of the Year. That will obviously go to Flightline, as will older Dirt Mail. But there were one or two categories that were mildly contentious. I guess three-year-old male was probably the one that, that divided opinion most sharply. Where would your vote have gone? 
I would probably lean toward Taba just on the the fact that he's done multiple things well at the grade one level. You know, capping the season off with the seven furlong grade one race out at Santa Anita, I think is sort of the the icing on the cake. Uh, it's not to take anything away from Epicenter and, and obviously nothing away from modern games. Modern games, I think, would have needed to run here a few more times to really truly merit consideration for this division. Uh, Epicenter, I think, I don't think the classic is held against him. It's just I don't know that he has enough grade one wins, and I know grade ones shouldn't necessarily be the end-all, be-all. He was the most consistent three-year-old from start to finish. But I think Taba, just purely on the sort of trophies that he has, you know, the Santa Anita Derby, a grade one, the Pennsylvania Derby, a grade one, a runner-up in the grade one Haskell, a good third-place finish in the Breeders' Cup Classic, and then he caps it off with a seven-furlong grade one race on dirt. To me, if I had to make a call, I would go with Taba. One turn nine furlong in the Saudi Cup. Do you think you'll take a lot of beating there? I think he was he's the horse to beat there. And and frankly, if he stays together, we know he had a pretty lengthy campaign as a three-year-old. Uh, I think he's probably the best horse in the United States or US-based anyway. So whether it is the Saudi Cup, one turn nine furlongs, I don't think that's an issue for him. Uh, if they choose to go to Dubai, 10 furlongs, no issue there. And we know that he's one that's been able to take his races all across the country in the U.S. and still be competitive. So, uh, to me, Tabe is the horse to beat in 2023. All right. I just gave the three-year-old male to Epicenter. Maybe I was being a bit a bit soppy after he, he was pulled up in the Breeders' Cup Classic, and uh, I was being nostalgic for the for the Triple Crown and his contribution to that. But it was incredibly tight call, toss of the coin. But your case for Tabe is a very compelling one, and he'll be challenging possibly for Horse of the Year honors a year from now unless a brilliant star three-year-old emerges. We'll come to that in a few moments' time. Would you have given Jackie's Warrior Sprinter, or would you have counted another Breeders' Cup disappointment against him? You know, th This is one where I'm probably a little bit unkind, uncharitable. Boy, I, I thought the Breeders' Cup Sprint was his race to lose, and he lost it. I mean, it, it just it was one of those things that there was really no excuse. It was the pace set up ideally for him, the class, the caliber of runner he was going up against, the only one who really figured to to give him a proper test was the unproven at that time elite power who ended up getting the job done. But to me, that race is such a black mark for Jackie's warrior that I can't reward him for beating up on inferior fields throughout the year. And the two times he was really tested once by Cody's wish at Saratoga and once by elite power at Keeneland, he he failed both tests. He's a really good horse. He's probably one of the better horses of the past handful of years that will have never won a Breeders' Cup race. Uh, for that reason, I did not. I wouldn't go with him. I would personally go with Elite Power over Cody's Wish simply because it's hard for me to reward Cody's Wish as amazing as the story and everything surrounding the horse and the connections is. I can't in good conscience give the Sprint Division Championship to a horse that his final, arguably most prestigious victory came going two turns on dirt at a mile. I... I I think he's more of a middle distance type than a sprinter. Uh, and let's say, you know, say what we will about the rest of the field in this year's sprint. Elite Power is the one that took advantage, got it done at the right time. He just peaked. I think Elite Power should win that award. Well, there you go. I also put Elite Power over Cody's Wish, but I put Jackie's Warrior on top of both of them. So that probably tells you uh, how contentious this category is going to be. Male Turf Horse. The only reason I bring this up is because. Is, should there be any doubt that modern games should just win this by daylight? 
The only thing I, I the only reason folks may go against him is that he only had the one start in the United States. Well, one uh, in Canada. I'm viewing right. Well, that's the thing. I'm viewing the race at Woodbine as really sort of, you know, I, I'm lumping North America all together here. And, and I think those two efforts alone are better than anything we saw from Nation's Pride. And obviously, look, Rebels Romance was spectacular winning the turf this year. But I think for what we saw from, from modern games in those two races, and I know it shouldn't matter, but knowing the way he ran as a two-year-old in the United States as well, he feels like an American horse to me anyway. I know he's based over in Europe, but we've seen him enough times over here, and he delivers wow performances each and every time. Uh, to me, male turf horse should be modern games and modern games alone. And that is where we do agree. And I wanted to ask you about this little uh, imbroglio that was was taking place on social media about whether or not voters in this in this award ceremony should abstain from the steeplechase category if they're not a steeplechase aficionado um <laughs> I, I i voted i i think as as some folks have pointed out it's not difficult to go through pull up past performances and pull up a couple replays it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're you're acting as an expert in the category i'm certainly not and i know many others that would vote in this category by no means are experts in steeplechase and jump racing, but I do believe you have a bit of an obligation if you're filling out a ballot and you're submitting things, and these are proper, important year-end honors, and not just year-end honors, but these are honors that are going to stay with these horses and connections for all of time. I, I think you owe it to the horses, the connections, the other voters, everyone involved with this, to take a little bit of time, do a little bit of homework, and no, I'm not sitting sitting here saying that all of a sudden you're going to be, you know, the expert at Cheltenham or any of these other jump races that we have, whether it's abroad or over here in the States. But I think take a couple minutes and, and go through the PPs and make one selection at least. Yeah, there's actually not that much to look at either. It's not like there's an enormous body of work to consider. And who would you have gone for as trainer and jockey? Well, trainer to me, Todd Pletcher, I think, just kind of fits the bill. When you go through and look, he won a Belmont Stakes with Mo Donegal, what he did with Ness throughout the entirety of the campaign, what he did with Forte, who's going to win champion two-year-old. Um, I see no reason why Todd shouldn't win the award, and that's not to say that Steve Asmussen doesn't deserve it, and certainly that Chad Brown doesn't deserve it, but I think this year it's Todd's it's Todd's award. Jockey's an interesting one, because I, part of me believes that consistency is the most important piece here. Um, I think Joel Rosario, when he's on his game, is as good as anyone but I think there are occasional lulls, little dips in the performance. Um, Flavian Pratt and Arad Ortiz Jr. I think are far more consistent on a day-to-day -day basis. And of the two, I would give the slight edge to Arad just because I feel like he is as good as anyone on any surface at any configuration, dirt, sprint, marathon, turf, anything in between. He can get his mounts to deliver and perform at their absolute peak. And again, it's not to suggest that the other two individuals don't, Flavian Pratt or Joel, but... I just think, to me, jockey, it's really a matter of consistency, and I think you get the best from a Rad Ortiz Jr. on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, I went with Pratt and, and Pletcher for, for jockey and trainer. Um, let's talk about next weekend's Pegasus. It's going to be different because the Pegasus so far has been characterized normally by a superstar or two and a lot of marked inferiors. Now, this time we've got a lot of quite good horses, but no superstar. Cyberknife, Defunded, White Abario, Skippy Longstocking, Proxy Art Collector, Last Samurai. They're all horses that you'll be familiar with. Stiletto Boy was placed last year. 
but nothing that really jumps off the page. Cyber Knife will be a favorite. He'll divide opinion. What do you like in the race, Matt? Well, Cyber Knife is, is the horse to beat on paper going into it. Uh, I thought his dirt mile was, was really strong, a really credible race. He got run down by Cody's Wish, who is a, a legit older, proper grade one caliber runner. I just, boy, I have a, a difficult time looking at him saying he is a standout against any field. Um, maybe turning four in his, what I believe is going to be a swan song. I believe it's being retired after the race. Uh, maybe this is just going to be all systems go when he goes out there and puts on a show. I just personally don't know that he has such an edge on anyone else in this field. Uh, of the other names in here, I I'm most interested in Skippy Longstocking. Um, I know this is a horse that, you know, Safi Joseph Jr. campaigned him. He took his shots. You know, he took a shot in the Belmont Stakes. He took a shot in a couple other spots. But for the most part, he kept him to the, let's say, the 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 lesser graded stakes races for the three-year-olds last year. He didn't really throw him into the deep end too often. Uh, I thought his Harlan's Holiday at the end of 2022, it was on New Year's Eve, I thought it was an encouraging effort, not just because it came down here at Gulfstream Park, but I thought it represented a, a proper forward move in his form and maybe it suggests that as a four-year-old he could be a horse that maybe is right now a little bit under the radar but can really sort of assert himself as one of the better older horses next year in a division that largely seems a little bit up in the air depending on who continues running who comes back from injuries or layoffs or anything like that so uh this you know we're still about what 12 days out 13 days out somewhere thereabouts uh, right now i'm at least most intrigued with Skippy Longstocking for Safi Joseph. And you will be on the on the Triple Crown trail soon, not just for NBC, but also for FanDuel TV. You'll be heading to Oaklawn Park and the, the fairgrounds of California, everywhere, looking at, at, at three-year-olds that could end up in Triple Crown races. Is there a horse already that has tickled your fancy that you've thought, hmm, yeah, that's uh, I can see that winning a derby? Yeah, I, I think uh, Todd Pletcher has a couple, as does Brad Cox. But Tappet Trice, he's a three-year-old that Pletcher has. He, he's by Tappet. He's out of a Dunkirk mare. And to me, he is the ultimate long-winded type. He broke his maiden in his last start. It was at Aqueduct. Uh, both of his starts have come at Aqueduct thus far, going one-turn miles. He's going to have to get stretched out in distance here soon. But I, I think he is that perfect combination of talent, but he's still green. And I know some folks would look at that and say, well, why, why is that a perfect combination? Last thing you need is a green horse and a big full field. To me, it shows that there is scope for improvement. So for him to run the way that he has already, I believe he earned an 87 buyer speed figure when he broke his maiden on December the 17th. The pedigree is there. He's still a little bit goofy figuring things out. I think two turns longer is going to be better for him. Uh, frankly, my only concern would be that he ends up being more of a Belmont horse than a Kentucky Derby horse. But having said that, he's one that I think if you haven't already seen him or you're you're not familiar with him yet, uh, do yourself a favor. Look up Tappet Trice. Uh, check out his first two races and take a look at the pedigree. Obviously, we know Todd Pletcher can win a derby or any triple crown race for that matter. But uh, he's the one that's, that's kind of caught my eye at this point. And finally, Matt, before you go, I'm excited about the English jockeys that are plying their trade stateside or English-based jockeys, I should say. Uh, obviously, we know Frankie de Torres in California. If you don't know that by now, you've been on Mars. Richard Kingscote, Derby and champion winning jockey, champion stakes winning jockey is about to kick off in, in Gulfstream for six weeks, where you are at the moment. And um, Young Apprentice, or just out of his acclaim, Tyler Hurd is, is doing some good things 
up in northern Kentucky, we hope. So what what is how is Dottori going down amongst American horse players as a as an integral part of the Santa Anita scene at the moment? I think Dottori timed all of this perfectly. And I know it coincides with sort of his his last hurrah, you know, the, the final year of his campaigns. But I, I think the fact that the Southern California jock colony was a little bit weak at the time that he showed up, along with John Velasquez from the East Coast, I, I think there were many opportunities to be had there. And Frankie's been riding for so long and American horse players are so familiar with his tendencies I mean, I think you would agree with this. He he rides, he may be a European-based jock, but he rides frequently like an American-based jock. You know, we know that he's capable on dirt, and that's not something that all European or international riders are necessarily, you know, comfortable with, or, or they don't adapt to it necessarily as well as the jockeys that we have here on a day-to-day basis in the U.S. do. Um, that's not a concern for Dottori. We already know that, you know, he's as good as it gets on the turf. So I, I think he's the kind of rider that, Anyone who may end up with a three-year-old that's got a little bit of potential, Frankie's at least going to be on the list of phone calls if the horse doesn't already have a rider, mainly because we know that he is as good as any of the riders that we have here, not just on turf, but I think he's every bit as good on dirt, if not better than most of the riders we've got. And Richard Kingscote has teamed up with Doug Breda, who, of course, marshaled Florent Giroux's career so expertly for for a decade. Listen, this isn't a decade, it's six weeks, but I'd love to think he could make a little bit of an impression at Gulfstream. Is that possible? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, this this colony down here in South Florida, while solid, you could certainly get a rider of Richard Kingscote's ability to come in and immediately make an impact. Uh, I will say the turf at Gulfstream has been playing it has its moments where it's really speed friendly and then the rails come down and maybe you can come from a little bit farther off of it so i think it'll really be pertinent for him to to kind of get keyed into how the turf is playing but as a european rider and we know the homework that these riders do uh really anywhere across the world uh, i I think he's really going to be able to pick things up and he's got no better agent than doug bradar to get him set up with some of these stables to have him on some live mounts and hopefully make an impact here Uh, in his little working vacation here in the US. All right, thanks to Matt. Thanks to Zach. Thanks to Shark. Good guests today. Jane Mangan, always a good guest and has hopefully a good tip for you. Nick, I'm going to to avoid the temptation of uh, Gaelic Warrior. And you'll be glad to know I'm going to avoid the temptation of night and day in the first race as well because she, the half-sister to Sue, Sunday ran on her only start for Willie Mullins in a grade one at Fairy House last spring behind her stablemate Brandy Love. Wasn't that some vote of confidence? First time out for the yard into grade ones. She is in a mare's maiden hurdle today and she should win that opening race. But I'm going to go for the second race, the 120, the Monroe maiden hurdle. Gavin Cromwell had a double yesterday at Punchestown. He might have a winner today, courtesy of Yaman. Keith Stunner, who's having a wonderful season. And this guy's had some solid efforts. And let's see if he can break his maiden tag in the 120. All right, Jane, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Tuesday, January the 17th. I'm off to the World's Best Racehorse Ceremony in London, and we'll bring you all the news from that and the two-year-old classifications on the show tomorrow. But from all of us, it's bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and thoroughbred racing commentary. Thank you.